We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Ruth chapter 3, and Lord willing, we're going to finish up this beautiful book of Ruth. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but there are some fish. There's fish that are dangerous fish. Um, um, the fish that I'm speaking of is selfishness. And, uh, um, you know, it's a struggle, I think, that we have in our life. I know I do. And I don't know. I've heard that guys do. I think that um, some ladies are probably a little bit better at this. Maybe it's because a lot of times, you know, they were moms or something about them. But I know that when I read the book of Ruth, and we're going to finish it up tonight, that is something that I think stands out, is that Ruth, uh, pretty much because of her love for God, she lived her life uh, for Naomi. Um, Boaz, because of his life, his love for God, he began to live his life for others. Uh, and we even see that eventually Naomi begins to catch that vision. And, you know, just inc- I just want to just challenge you in this area right here. That if you're here, and and I know we're not called to be happy, okay? It's not about being happy, but if you are a miserable person, some of you, maybe you're miserable, you're like, man, I just can't, you know, find happiness in life. It's probably because you're a selfish person. And once you begin to live your life for others, you begin to find the joy that God gives. You know, it's so cool to know that God works in us and he saves us. Now he wants to work through us and he wants to use our life to pull other people out of the fire. And that's why we're here. You know, my prayer is, as as I was thinking about like, Lord, why do we gather together in midweek service and Sunday services? And obviously it's because we want to worship God. We want to learn his word, but we want to grow. We want to change. We want to draw near to God and knowing that he promises then to draw near to us. And then as we grow, he wants to use our life to help others. And so some of you here, and maybe you're going out witnessing. Some of you here, you're teachers. Some are evangelists. Some are doing sound. Uh, just different things. But wherever you are in the body, when you're faithful, then God just he uses your life. And so a lot of, a lot of lessons in Ruth. Um, but look what we read here in Ruth chapter 3 and beginning in verse 1. It says, And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now I know we just kind of jumped into the story. Some of you already uh, know what's going on, but just in case you weren't here for chapters 1 and 2, what had happened was his family moved to Moab. They left Israel, moved to Moab. Uh, the dad died. The two sons died. Next thing you know, uh, Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. Uh, Orpha, is that her name? Orpha, she ends up staying in Moab. But Ruth, she just says, you know what, I'm going to leave Moab. You're going back to Israel. I'm going to go back with you. And the Bible says that Orpha, um, she kissed Naomi, but Ruth clung to her. And so she basically said, I'm willing to leave everything, and I'm going to go and I'm going to serve you. As she goes back to Israel, she's a foreigner, and we know, according to the scriptures, we're going to see even later, that the Moabites were cursed uh, to the 10th generation. They weren't allowed to go into the sanctuary. They were considered unclean. In one sense, Ruth had everything going against her. But the one thing she had going for her was she was a beautiful woman. She was lovely. Uh, She was obedient to God. She loved her mother-in-law. Think about that for a second, okay? I mean, and in one sense, and I don't want to sound weird or anything because I think we've lowered the bar so much, but, you know, in one sense, that's kind of like us, you know, if I could just say to you, loving your enemies, loving that person that maybe sometimes you just, you know, you can't or you struggle with. That's who Ruth was. Not just loving those who love you. That's easy for us. We all like to do that. You know what? I kind of have a struggle, to be honest with you, with people who don't like me. 
And I kind of struggle with that. I'm like, what's up with you? What's your problem? You know, I'm a nice guy. You know, I try my hardest and stuff like that. But the bottom line is, there's this, sometimes you clash with people. Sometimes people just don't like you. And that's, you know, their problem, right? In one sense, though, it becomes your problem. And it's at that point, I think, when, you know, true love will kick in if you have it. And that's what Ruth had. She had true love. And then, you know, we read that she was committed to Naomi. She went out. She would go work hard, gleaning. Next thing you know, God begins his work. And she finds herself in the in the field of Boaz. And, you know, um, the Lord begins to kind of, you know, hook him up, you know, um, in one sense. And so, you know, she's going and Boaz is taking care of her. Boaz is protecting her. Boaz is giving her extra things for her to glean and take home. And so... Um, what ends up happening is Naomi discovers this, and then we read here, that's where we pick up the story in chapter 3, verse 1, that Naomi, her mother-in-law, she said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? The word security is kind of interesting. The same Hebrew word is used over, look over in chapter 1, verse 9, The Lord grant that you might find rest, each in the house of her husband. So in chapter 1, verse 9, the Hebrew word is translated rest. In chapter 3, verse 1, the Hebrew word is translated security. And basically what she's saying is, uh, I want to find a home for you where you'll be provided for. I must find a home so that you'll be secure. It's time for you to have a permanent place. You know, and um, what she's doing now, it's kind of interesting. Chapter 1, verse 9, she prayed that the Lord would give you rest, that the Lord would give you a home with a husband and a family. And in chapter 3, she's not asking, now she's acting. You see? And that's the way it works for us in life. Although Naomi wasn't really right on in chapter 1, we still see the pattern that you've got to pray and you've got to obey, that you've got God's you know, divine sovereignty, but then you've got the human responsibility you know, and, and it's kind of hard for those of you who are single here. I'll be honest with you. I never had to struggle with it. I know that for some of you here, I can just imagine how how hard that must be because you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, Lord. You know, what do I do? Lord, bring someone into my life. But then, you know, how do you bust the move? I mean, how do you do that? You know, I wouldn't know. I mean, I know it's got to be the Lord, you know, but, you know, you can't just like pray I think, and then just like, you know, hide. I mean, there's, there's, there's some type of uh, wisdom and balance and guidance. We know in, the, in these days, the parents were the one responsible, right? I wish it was still like that, but it's not like that anymore. And so anyways, we see here that Naomi, she says, you know what? I'm going to seek security for you. I want you to have a home. I want you to be blessed. And, you know, just as a quick side note, you know, she's talking about the home. She's talking about a family. And she uses two words, rest and security. And you know what? I think that's a good description of what a home should be. You know, in one sense. Don't get me wrong. We've got to mow the lawn and stuff like that. But a spiritual rest and a place of security, a sanctuary. Great descriptions of a home. Here we see it's interesting that Naomi's beginning to change. You know, what a difference Ruth has made in her life. Now her orientation is now others-oriented. You know, remember Naomi in the beginning, all about herself, all about her problems, but now what's she doing? She's beginning to think of others. She's beginning to think of, of Ruth. Warren Wisby said this, It's when we serve others that we ourselves receive the greatest joy and satisfaction. The martyr German minister Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Jesus Christ the man for others. And so what ends up happening? We see in verse 2. Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, Naomi says, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be, when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. 
And so Naomi says, I, I want to find, you know, security for you, a home. I want you to have a place where you can have rest. And so she says, I prayed about it, and now this is, I think, where the Lord is leading us. And this is what you need to do. You know, to go down to, to Boaz, uh, what was happening was now they were threshing. And so what they would doing, they would be doing is they'd be throwing up the grain, and after they had crushed it or after the animals had, you know, trampled it down, and then the chaff would blow away, and then there would be grain. And they would be there into the wee hours of the night, and then uh, what would happen was Boaz would sleep there, because remember, this took place in the time of the judges, and so people were always stealing grain. It was not a good time. And so he had to sleep there to guard the grain. And what Naomi says is kind of interesting, and, and we can't get around it. She says, you know, take a shower, uh, put on some perfume, <laughs> dress up, real good clothes, the, the best outfit you have. More than likely, Ruth didn't have a lot of clothes, but she did have one for special occasions. Naomi said, wear that. It, see, it's okay. You know, dress up a little bit. It's okay to put a little makeup on, not too much. Um, don't hide your real beauty, right? It's okay, you know, to comb your hair and, and you know, and, and to put a little perfume on, not too much, okay? <laughs> and she says, and then, and then go. And what you need to do is when, when, once Boaz is all done eating, okay, let him eat, okay? And, and he's done having his, his time. Watch where he goes to sleep. And then when he goes to sleep, what you need to do is you need to go and just uncover his feet and then lie right there at his feet. And so, you know, you, you read that and you're like, wow, what is that all about? That sounds kind of weird, you know. Um, but, you know, whenever you come across something you don't understand, make sure you fall back on what you do understand. Let me ask you a question. Was Ruth the godly woman? Big time. So this was not some sexual act. It was not a provocative act. According to the, the commentators, they tell us that this was a custom that would be clearly understood in those days. And so we're going to see what it means in just a second. But I like what we read right here. Notice again, it says that in verse 5, And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. That's cool, huh? That's kind of like what we were, t- were singing about today. Absolute surrender. I surrender some to you, Lord. If, if you live a life, let me ask you a question. If you live a life that says, I surrender some to you, Lord, is your life going to be a victorious life? No. It's not until you can say, I surrender all to you, Lord. All that you say to me, Lord, I will do. And we're going to see later, Boaz says the same thing to Ruth. It's real interesting. Now, I was thinking about this whole thing right here, because we're going to see later that, that, that Ruth is a picture of the church and Boaz is a picture of Christ. You know, God is the Father. The Holy Spirit uses the Word. And so who's Naomi? Who's Naomi in this whole thing? You want to know who Naomi is? She's the teachers. Someone like me, the teachers that you listen to. Because I was thinking, Naomi's all messed up, man. At least she was messed up. You know, she goes up and down and all around. That's kind of like the teachers. But then they give you the word. They give you the word. And as long as they're giving you the word, you can say, okay, all that you say to me, I will do. She doesn't know. She's learning, right? And so she goes. And we read in verse 6. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened that at midnight the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. It's so cool. You know, a lot of people, they see this as a love story. And, you know, it it probably is. There's probably more to it, though. Um, I think it's more of a love story um, 
to God. I see Ruth and I see she's just a young woman who is just in total submission to God. Um, what we find is that as she goes and she uncovers his feet, um, what that meant in the day, and here's the thing, is she approached Boaz in total submission. And, and just as a quick side note, guys, if you're looking for a girl, and let's just say she's a firecracker, you know. Let's just say that she wants to rule. She wants to lead. You know, don't don't marry her. I remember one guy, he was a famous entertainer. He said, you know, marriage is a mistake that all men should make. And I was thinking, you know what, that's one area of your life that you don't want to make a mistake in. It's just a beautiful picture of this woman, and, and she just comes, and there she is, and she lies down at his feet. Now, that's a, a total place of, of submission. Now, it's kind of interesting, because it says in verse 8, now it happened at midnight. It happened. Now, remember, the, Ruth is the book of, you know, a mixture of obedience and providence. Obedience and providence. That's the way it always works for us. And it happened at midnight. I wonder what happened at midnight. You know, have you guys ever, and I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, overdo this or anything, but this guy was eating, maybe he even was drinking. I don't know how much he drank, but, you know, usually when I go to sleep, to be honest with you, I stay asleep, you know, <laughs> I stay asleep. Maybe at midnight, though, like he had a dream. Maybe at midnight, God woke him up. I was even thinking maybe at midnight, Ruth tickled his feet. I, I wasn't sure, you know. And I was just thinking of Ruth just lying there at his feet. And I was thinking, man, you know, this is also interesting. Think, Picture yourself there, ladies, okay? And you're there and, you know, who knows? You're, you're lying there for five minutes, ten minutes, a half an hour. An hour goes by. Two hours go by and you're just waiting. Huh? You're waiting. You're hoping he wakes up, right? <laughs> More than likely, and this seems to be the consistency of Ruth's life, you know, the Lord just woke him up. It happened that at midnight he woke up and, and then and then he's like, wow, who's there, you know? And uh, and I love the way that Ruth presents herself to him. She says, you know who I am? I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now, I know this sounds weird, but she essentially proposed to him. She did. Any ladies ever do that? Just out of curiosity, do you propose? <laughs> you know, and I know some people were saying, well, why didn't she wait for Boaz to propose to her? You want to know why more than likely she didn't wait was because he was an older man. And uh, and I think he thought that, you know, there's no way she'd want to be with me. That's kind of what we see when we read between the lines. You know, I was telling you earlier, you want to look for someone like uh, Ruth, you know, who has that heart of a wife. But you also, ladies, now it's your turn. You know, you want to make sure that you pray for a man who has a heart like like Boaz. And we've seen him all along, huh? A man of integrity, a man of character. And right here we see a man who would be willing to protect her. Even today in the Jewish weddings, they'll cover, they'll throw their uh, their talith, you know, it's kind of like a, a cloak, over the bride. And what it is is symbolic is them coming under their wings for the husband to protect her. You see? And that's what she says to him, you know, I'm Ruth, I'm your maidservant, you know, hide me under your wing, take me under your wing, for you are a close relative. And what that is, is we're going to see this word come out, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. He's the man. He's the man. And so we read in verse 10. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you, there's that word again, all that you request. For the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. It's called the Lord hooked them up, huh? Isn't it? 
You know, and that's the way it should be. Um, and, you know, it's like you can't necessarily say, well, it's a system of steps. The only steps I think that we can, you know, really, really stand on are things that we could say like steps that God leads us in, you know. But as God leads, God brings them together. And as they're there, Ruth comes. And basically what she says is, you know what, according to the law. Now, if you read Deuteronomy 25 and you read Leviticus 25, what you have is all the laws that God had given to the children of Israel in order to, you know, give them the wisdom they needed when they would cross certain bridges like this. Um, what do you do? You know, when uh, there's four categories, okay? Uh, the, the word goel, kinsman redeemer, it would come into play uh, in four different situations. Number one, let's just say you were a Jew and you uh, got poor and you were sold into slavery. Okay, your kinsman redeemer had the authority and the right to buy you back. Or let's just say you were a Jew and you got poor and you had to sell your land. The kinsman redeemer would be the one that had the right to buy your land back. Because here's the way it worked for the Jews. Okay, the, the Jews, the land belonged to God. Okay, let's just say I had land, the, the Goronia clan had land or whatever. I mean, you're of the tribe of, you know, I don't know, of Dan or, you know, Manasseh or Ephraim or Judah. Okay, that land had to stay in the tribe. But if you sold it to someone else, then it's no longer part of that tribe. And so what God did is God would always make sure the land would come back to the tribe. After 50 years, you guys remember that thing is called the year of Jubilee? It would, it would definitely go back. But prior to that, if I had to sell my land, you know, my, you know, compa, my kinsman redeemer, whoever he was, he could buy it back for me to keep it in the, in the family. See, that's what the kinsman redeemer was. And that also would come into play if, let's just say, you're a, a widow and you have no sons to carry on the name. Then we read in the Bible the, the Leverite marriage. What that would do is the closest kinsman, the brother, for example, he would marry her and then they would have a son and so to carry on the name. And that's what was going on here. Now what we find, if you guys remember, it's kind of interesting. We're going to see later. Um, remember Genesis chapter 38? You guys remember that whole story there? Uh, when Judah had a son and his name was Er. And he was wicked, so what did God do? God killed him, right? And then uh, what ends up happening is Judah gave uh, his wife, you know, Tamar, to another son, uh, and his name was Onan. Onan didn't want to, you know, do the husband's duty, the brotherly duty, so what did God do? God killed him, right? And then so Judah said, you know what, I'm not going to give any more sons to this lady because she's bad luck, right? And he did not. Fulfill the obligation. But we're going to see later, though, that they come up. And it's almost like a contrast here. What Judah was not willing to do, Boaz was. And it's really interesting, you guys. God has his way of providing. God has his way of his kinsmen redeemers. And what we find is this, you guys, that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He is. You know, in all honesty, we were slaves. Right Before we were Christians, we were slaves. We couldn't overcome. We were in bondage. But guess who redeemed us? Jesus did. In all honesty, we lost our land. Our land is everything that belongs to us. Our land is heaven. But guess what happened? Jesus bought that back for us. In all honesty, we lost our own life. We lost our own name. See, and what we find in this whole thing right here, you guys, I was telling Henry, man, I don't feel like a Ruth. I don't feel like I'm I'm like her. I want to be like her, though. But I thank God for my Boaz. I thank God for my Jesus. You guys, he has redeemed us. And it's so cool, though. Here's the thing. And I was thinking, okay, Lord, well, what do we walk away with tonight? You know, what is... Uh, and there's a lot of different ways, I think, I guess you could say, of application. But I guess the one thing that I really want to make sure that is crystal clear in your life is that we would come to the Lord... And we would lie at his feet. That's the thing. 
You know, my prayer is that looking at this story right here and seeing the picture of Ruth and knowing that she's supposed to be like a, a symbolic of the church, that we would have that heart of just there, sitting, lying, in total submission to Jesus Christ. And that's where we need to be. Because what ends up happening in life is, you know, all the problems we have, all the arguments that you have, all the fights, all the, 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 the defeats, everything that's negative, everything that's wicked, everything that's evil, everything that creates chaos is all rooted in the simple reality that there are areas of our life that are not laid at the feet of Jesus. But once we lay those areas at his feet, it's so cool how things change, how God protects us and God will bring us under his wing. It's interesting. God used the same terminology for Israel in Ezekiel 16, verse 8. It says, When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was a time of love, so I spread my wing over you, covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord. And that's what God has done with us. You know, Boaz right here in verse 10, he was kind of tripping out that she had not run after younger men. But what he says right here is interesting. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. And what do you mean by that? Here's something that's really interesting, you guys. Even in this activity, even in this action of Ruth, she's still... Not in it for herself. Can you believe that? And I think that that's what ends up happening. You know, when you're not in it for yourself. Lord, I'm in this for you. Lord, I want to be obedient. Lord, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. See, that's how, you know, things happen. You know, delight yourself also in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. But what ends up happening? I know my problem is a lot of times, you know, I'm I'm thinking about myself and I'm in this for myself. And God says that's antichrist. You know, be in this for them. Be in this for your family. Be in this for the Lord. And then what you find is that God will bless you, you know, in a way that will blow your mind. And we're going to see in the end what ends up happening is so cool. You know, here we see in verse 11, this this really cool comment that Boaz makes about Ruth. He says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know what? That you are a virtuous woman. That's cool, huh? You know, and, I, and I'm not saying necessarily that your reputation is everything, but it's, it's probably something. You know, ultimately we want, you know, the Lord to speak words of approval over our life. But I think that when you take care of your character, your reputation will follow. And Ruth, this Moabitess, this foreigner, this Gentile, this cursed one, her, her life was so strong for the Lord that the whole town knew that she was a virtuous woman. Now, another thing, and I know there's, there's, a lot, uh, there's a lot of things that we can come away with, and I don't want to get weird or anything, but did they know she was a virtuous woman by her church attendance? No. Did they know she was a virtuous woman because she was able to quote 63,000 Bible verses? No. Did they know she was a virtuous woman because uh, she had a bumper sticker on her, you know, chariot? No. How did they know she was a virtuous woman? It was a very practical love that she had. A very practical love. And I really want to encourage you guys, keep coming to church, man. And keep reading your Bible so that it burns, you know, when God speaks to you. And, and get on your knees and get on your face and pray and put a bumper sticker on your car and, 
And start, you know, driving right for a change, okay? You know, <laughs> wear the t-shirts and the bracelets and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But, but even, you know, just add to that. Make sure that they see the love of Jesus Christ that you have for your family, for your mother-in-law, for your father-in-law, for your enemies, for your friends. See? That's what was notable in Ruth's life. They all knew her to be that. The word virtuous is most often translated army or man of valor, believe it or not. It speaks of strength, ability, efficiency. And Ruth was an amazing woman. I mean, bottom line is, in the end, here is what it means. Why Why did they use the word army for her? Why did they use mighty man of valor for her? Why? Because the word speaks of strength. That she was a spiritually strong woman. That's who she was. And you guys probably know the same Hebrew word is used in Proverbs 31.10. Who can find a virtuous wife? Right? Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. And if you have a virtuous wife, you are blessed because they are rare. And I think right there in Proverbs 31, it's not necessarily talking to the guys saying, hey, go look for one. It's more talking to the girls, be one. (laughs) Be a virtuous woman. And so Boaz says, okay, I'm going to do everything you ask, but I'm going to do it according to the word of God. Because look what it says in verse 12. He says, now, it is true that I am a close relative However, there is a relative closer than I. He says, stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Boaz says, you know, I, I, I would love, I, I think, and, and it's kind of hard. You, you talk to different people. I, I would, I would just have to say that, that, that he did love Ruth. You know, because of her, her godliness. And I would have to say that it's not just, you know, two people being forced together. I think that she loved him because of his godliness. You know, I think that. I'm not sure, but I think that. But he says, you know what? I got to make sure. I got to make sure this is the Lord. Because the bottom line is, there is a kinsman redeemer. There's a goel that's closer uh, in, in, you know, to you. And he actually has the first right. And so it's kind of cool. You know, even though they were so attracted to each other, I think at this point, by the godliness within, they wanted to make sure, he wanted to make sure it was the Lord and so he says, let's, let's find out. And so it says in verse 14, she lay at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. And then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. That's kind of interesting. Verse 17 says that Boaz didn't want Naomi to be empty-handed. And if you go back to chapter 1, verse 21, Naomi says, the Lord has brought me home again Empty. Don't you love that scripture? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, it comes in the morning. Why? Because you're so good? No, because God is good, you guys. God is good. And we have a Redeemer. He's on our side. 
All things work together for good. This is a story of providence mixed with obedience. This is a story of divine sovereignty, human responsibility. When we catch the vision of just going at Jesus' feet and living a life of submission and just surrendering all to him, whatever you say, Lord, I will do, you're going to see things like this happen. And you're going to see someone, and we're talking about Ruth, but then we're seeing how she ministered to Naomi. And isn't it so beautiful when God will use your life to go and meet somebody who is empty, and then they're no longer empty. Why? Because of your obedience. And that's why, you know, I was reading that scripture in Jude today, Lord, you know, pulling them out of the fire. we got to have a heart for the lost. we got to have a heart to be obedient. Here we see Ruth and, and Boaz and the whole story coming together and them being a picture really of the church and his relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know for sure, the six ephahs of barley, you, you guys notice that every time that Boaz sent Ruth away, he always gave her like grain. You guys notice that? And kind of like a guy who likes a girl type of thing, right? Always like that. And uh, But I don't know for sure, six ephahs, that's 60 pounds, man. And so I was thinking maybe Ruth was strong. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is that, you know, she goes home and she says he's going to take care of business. And sure enough, we read in chapter 4, verse 1, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Come aside, friend. Sit down here. And so he came aside and sat down. Now, the, the city gates, we know, would be that place where we had the city council hall, even the courts, and all the elders would gather there. Legal matters would be taken care of. And so it says in verse 2, he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. And so they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Ah, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that, right? You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, a lot of teachers will say that Boaz just kind of at first... You know, presented the land. It's just a transaction of property. You know, you're the closest kinsman redeemer. You want the land, and then buy it. You know, and he didn't mention anything about Ruth. Uh, some would believe because it was part of the strategy. We don't know for sure. But because now, boom, he's going to catch him off guard. Because look what he says next. He says in verse 5, Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Basically, what he's saying is that there's a package deal here. You know, you're going to get the land, but you're also going to get Ruth and you've got to marry her. Okay? Now, not Naomi, because she was obviously beyond childbearing years, but, but Ruth is part of the deal, right? Boom. He just kind of throws it at her. And so it says in verse 6, the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. I mean, they say that, you know, the reasoning being, maybe this man had property. If he had multiple sons, he didn't want to split the inheritance. And also, not all the wives would be real happy about this, right? And not only that, what we find is that the Lord was on the throne, right? And, and here's the way it works with our Redeemer, okay? When you compare this right here, number one, okay, he has to be a relative. And that's why Jesus became human. He's our kinsman Redeemer, right? Number two, you've got to have the money. You've got to be rich. And for Jesus Christ to redeem us, he had to be rich. What did he have to pay? His life. It was an eternal payment. You know, only he could do it, right? And then number three, not only did you have to, you know, have that right relation and you had to be rich, number three is you had to be willing. And that's the one 
that blows me away. Why would Jesus Christ be willing to redeem me? I mean, I feel like you should have been like the other guy right here, you know? Oh, Ruth is involved? Oh, never mind. Oh, Manny's involved? No, I don't think so. Oh, Calvary Chapel Almighty? No way, you know. And then you think of yourself and you're like, man, you know, I know who I am. You know, I'm cursed. That's who I am. The Moabites were cursed. But he was willing to redeem us. You see, and that's what we find right here. What this man was not willing to do, Boaz was. And he's a picture of Jesus. And so, since he didn't want to redeem it, it says in verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Think about that. That's kind of weird, huh? Instead of signing the contract, they say, here, you can have my sandal, right? Now, we don't know for sure, but some people say it's kind of symbolic. Again, you read it, Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. The whole process was there, even spitting in their face. Real interesting thing. But what you find, though, is that that sandal was in one sense saying, I can't walk over that land anymore. Because now that land belongs to someone else. Anyways, he did the whole thing. It says in verse 8, Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And so he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have required, acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. And the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. And so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Here it is. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Isn't that cool, you guys? A daughter-in-law who loved her mother-in-law, you know, better than seven sons. No offense, guys. But there's power in that, man. There is power in that. How the Lord had blessed them. They, they, you know, the people blessed them. They had a child. And notice it says in verse 16, Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. It was an informal adoption. That's what that is right there. You know, whenever you hold a a baby, you hold the future. Uh, Especially your grandparents. Isn't that cool? You know, you're holding that little one right there. And what we see is you're holding the future. Also, the neighbor woman gave him a name. That's kind of funny. You figured they would name him herself, right? But no, they gave him a name saying, this is, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So cool. Obed means one who serves. And, and I guess in, in one sense, and a lot of people will tell you this, that Obed now would grow up and he would take care of his of his grandma, you know? And this is a quick side note, you guys. It's supposed to be that way, man. You know, you kids, when you have your um, your parents, take care of them. That's what honoring your father and your mother, it, it means. Take care of your parents. And, you know, you parents, take care of your kids. Because one day they're going to take care of you. And, and they might not take care of you. <laughs> Don't put them in an old, in an old folks' home. 
You know, try not to. I don't know, man. You take care of them the best that you can. You know, that's what we see this guy Obed would do. And it says right here, and they called his name Obed. Notice he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wow. You see what happens when that providence of God is mixed with the obedience of man. When the love of God takes root in our heart and becomes God's love in us for others. When the divine sovereignty mixes with human responsibility. He says the word duty, 13, in verse 13, three times the duty that we have. Then God will just blow your mind with the things that he does. And next thing you know, you're part of the, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Huh. Isn't that cool? And you know, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Well, you want to know what you are in one sense, because when the Lord uses your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you become a part of the genealogy of those who are what? Born again. And that's why it's important for us to learn all these things. Notice right here he gives this, this, this whole genealogy. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. And what does he end with, you guys? What does he end with? He ends with a generation, and, and, and there's more to it, there's more to it, but we'll close with this. He ends with a generation, it's kind of interesting, ten generations. Ten generations. And you're like, well, so what? What does that got to do with anything? Well, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, the Moabites were not to enter the congregation of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. And it's not a coincidence. Basically, what God says was there was a curse. There was a curse that has been reversed. There is a grace that God gives to us that we don't deserve, but it's real and it's powerful. And just as wicked as the enemy was, you know, to bring death into this world, how wonderful our God is. To bring life into this world. And you know, it's not, it's not, I don't know how it works, you know. To me, I don't know how it all works, but I do know this. That I'm not going to, you know, just sit back and say, well, it's just, you know, God's sovereignty, man. God's sovereignty, man. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lean to the other side and say, well, it's all human responsibility, you know. All human responsibility. No. I'm going to let God bring those two together, man. You guys, we have a job to do. We are living in these days. We are living in a time as this, where God wants to use our life. And my, my encouragement to you, I guess in one sense, you know, my, I don't know if begging is the right word. Paul begged. It's okay to beg. Not for money. I don't want to beg for money. But I want to beg you. I want to, I want to just beg the Lord for myself that we would live a life of absolute submission to Jesus Christ. You go. And you, uh, and we can, we can run with this. Warren Wiersbe ran with this. Clean yourself up. Clean yourself up. Okay? Put some perfume on. Cologne. Dress, you know, your nicest dress. And you go and you sit at the feet of Jesus and say, okay, Lord, I'm here in total submission to you. Help me at home, Lord, with my, my husband, my wife, my kids. Help me with my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my enemies. Lord, I don't want to be, you know, I know how it works, Lord. It's not just about being religious and going to church and saying my prayers and knowing my Bible verses. Lord, I want it to be 
the true love, selflessness that you work in my heart. And so that's my prayer, you guys, that God would change us. You know, because the bottom line is, if you're not like Ruth, then you're ruthless. And, and now we have the book of Ruth. We have the book of Ruth. And Lord willing, we're going to be getting into First Samuel, Second Samuel. Think about it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God's putting these books in our heart. Now Ruth is in our heart. So we're no longer ruthless, right? Now we go out, and guess what, you guys? You're accountable. Live the life. Father, I thank you so much for your love and grace in our life, and I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be a beautiful man. Ruth was a beautiful woman. Boaz, men of character. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know who you are, Jesus, and that we would go out and live our life for you, Lord. I pray that we would truly live a life of loving others, doing your will, submitting ourselves to you, entering into this great love story, Lord, and then just watching what you will do. You will turn everything around, and you will take lives that are empty, and you will fill them with purpose. I thank you for everyone here, Father God. I thank you so much for the different parts of the body, the different beautiful types of people that we are. I pray nothing would ever come between us. Nothing would ever divide us. Nothing would ever separate us from you or each other, Lord. Knit our hearts together for the glory of God, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. Light a fire in us. Let your Holy Spirit fall on us. Let there be a passion, Lord like never before. We do love you. We do thank you, Lord. We pray you be with us now as we sing. Lord, let your Holy Spirit allow this word to take root in our heart and just let it bring forth an abundance of fruit. We love you and thank you. We pray together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll close with a song. God bless you. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.